The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. Is that your signature win? It just may be. It is. A good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here. You are there at 7.01 on this Labor Day Monday night. FSU now 2-0 on the season after a thrilling victory in the Bayou. It was by a score of 24-23 over the LSU Tigers. FSU now undefeated, their best record in, in who knows how long, about a decade. So a lot of exciting stuff with that game to talk about. Plenty of people in the studio tonight, including myself, who are at the game. So we've got all the first-person accounts for you there. We also have some college football week one to talk about. We have some playoff expansion to discuss. And then maybe at the end of the show, if we have some time, uh, NFL week one, as uh, the pro football season is going to be underway this Thursday night, uh, Bills and Rams. So that, that'll be a dandy and some other good games in week one as well. Uh, remember, you can call the show, anyone. We have a line open for you at 850-644-1837. Again, 850-644-1837. You are listening to us on 89.7 FM, WVFS Tallahassee, also wvfs.fsu.edu. And a reminder, as always, to follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, at V89Sports for some awesome content. We're writing articles. We're doing all these great things, uh, so make sure to follow along for that. But I'm your host, William Haynes. Joining me tonight to my left, our co-host, Jackson Bakich. Jackson, you were down in New Orleans as well. How are you? How was your time down there? How was the game? And as always, it's great to see you. Well, first of all, it's great to see you as well. Uh, I'm hoarse. I'm, I'm hoarse. I, uh, I'm tired. But I'm elated, to, to put it that way. It, it was a magnificent time. And... Um, I, I can't. I'm still stunned. By, we'll talk about it. I'm still stunned by the ending. And uh, how about you, William? How I'm, are you? I'm doing great. I would uh, I would echo your sentiments. Um, you know, the the long drive over today. It's about a six hour drive. I'm sure many of you listening uh, maybe made that drive yourself. And I think a win goes a heck of a lot further uh, on a night like this when we're doing a show because, you know, we're all feeling good, but we also have a great game to discuss. And for the first time in forever, definitely really the first time since any of us have been here that it's actually something positive, something legitimate on this FSU football side. Um, so that that is really what excites week me Week one, too. Most. Week one. Absolutely. Yeah, the week zero win last week, and then now in week one, and we're two and zero. We're ahead of the curve. We've got a bye week before uh, a road trip to Louisville, which is is looking a lot easier than maybe it did a couple of days ago. And we'll get into to all that. Um, but now moving to my right, our two esteemed panelists. We'll start with you, AJ LeCourcier. AJ, you were down in New Orleans as well, and it's been a while since you've been on the show. So it's great to see you finally back in studio. And I know um, we're all <laughs> we're all pushing it because it, it's been a long weekend it sure has uh my voice <clears throat> hasn't quite recuperated as well as uh, maybe your guys's has but we're here we're ready to roll and college football is back that's right your miami dolphins uh there's there's some juice around them these days i don't know if if you've been on since they traded for tyreek but um it's going to be an interesting season uh for miami football maybe we'll we'll touch on some of that uh and then rounding out the panel tonight amanda golson 
Amanda, great to see you back in studio. You were on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, but but great to have you back in. And um, how about that win? How about what's going on in FSU right now? I mean, could you be more excited than we are right now? Well, thanks for having me. Um, man, what a time to be alive. That's about all I'm saying right now. What a time to go to FSU. You know, I feel like the past, you know, I'm only a sophomore, but last year was not the best year of Florida State football. And I just, I on, I agree with Jackson. I'm still stunned. I have no words. I'm just ready to hop right into this and discuss all that went down last night. Absolutely. So, so we'll we'll get into that now. Also, Jack Oliaro peeking in from behind the glass. He'll have seminal segment at around 7:30. All things uh, around FSU athletics, some soccer, some volleyball. I know the soccer team beat UF by a score of five to nothing. The volleyball team is sweeping just about every team that comes into Tully Gym, so make sure to stay tuned for that. And again, 850-644-1837, the number to call the show and talk to all of us people. Um, but we're going to get into it right now. Again, 24-23, your score. I know you were watching it or either you were there. Um, you can't say enough about how much this win means. I, I think I think we were split just about down the middle, 50-50, as far as who we thought were going to win. But... Um, you you look at any metric. ESPN had their their computer had LSU seventy five percent chance to win. I think over seventy percent of the public bet on LSU to cover the spread, which was uh, four points at kickoff. Um, all the experts I know, College Game Day had a sweep for LSU. You know, just because Jack Harlow was hanging out with Joe Burrow, he picked the LSU Tigers to win, and uh, he's zero and one, or at least uh, a losing record, hopefully for his uh, celebrity picks. But. Um, <sighs> This offense did what it needed to do. I was really impressed. To me, the game was going to be in the trenches, and I know that's a bit of a cliche, but were they going to be able to run the football against one of the best defensive lines in the country? Uh, they did so. They only, with sacks and everything included, they ran for about three and a half yards per carry, but plenty of five, six, seven yard runs. They had a couple of five, six, seven minute drives. Um, so really this Mike Norvell ball that, that we've been working towards uh, was finally um, in, in fruition. And, and in my opening statements, I'll close out with this. Brian Kelly talked about he wanted Jordan Travis to, to beat him from the pocket. He wanted Travis uh, to not be able to run. And while Travis did have a couple of keepers and everything, um, he was able to evade pressure. But really throwing from the pocket, Jackson, I think, um, was something we haven't seen in a long time. And it, and it went a, a huge way in, in getting this win. Absolutely, and you have to give credit to the offensive line. You know, for, for the last, really, you can even argue since 2014, Jameis Winston was running for his life uh, during that entire season. Um, but I was I was talking to some friends about this game on the way home uh, from New Orleans, and this was the first time it felt like Florida State has played consistent football for four quarters. And I, we can talk about, you know, that last drive, and we can talk about uh, the fumble at the one-yard line. But uh, for the most part, for, for four quarters, Florida State played a consistent, uh, pretty low on penalties, only one false start. Does that sound about right? One or two? Um, you know, didn't make silly mistakes uh, until obviously the very end. We can talk about that. I think that's more of a coaching decision um, that shouldn't have happened in the first place. But, you know, when the play is called, you got to execute. Um, but you're right. Jordan Travis from the pocket looked stupendous. He, he looked a lot more polished. Uh, he did not look nervous whatsoever. I, you remember the Notre Dame game last year. He looked awful in his first few drives. Um, and you look at him a year ago today compared to now, 
and you see a guy that's stepping into the pocket, running and jumping into throws like he's Patrick Mahomes. Exactly, like he's Patrick. I was going to say Michael Jordan, not that he played quarterback, <laughs> but that's what it looked like to me when I first saw it. I immediately thought, you know, that's oh, that's that's twenty three right there. But uh, we saw a Jordan Travis that looked. I'm not going to say like he's going to be an NFL quarterback. He he looked more professional. I don't mean that in a professional football sense. He looked more professional in a business sense. He was in, he was in control, and that was important. Also, um, they only had one turnover, and that was the fumble on the goal line on their last offensive possession. But Travis goes twenty for thirty-two passing, two hundred and sixty yards, two touchdowns. Also had uh, some nice gains on the ground. Uh, penalty seven penalties for eighty yards, as you were talking about. But there was some some questionable calls on the defensive side, a pass interference that could have gone either way, a roughing the passer. I know there was uh, a couple of those. I thought on, the roughing the passer side. was fair. I thought it was fifty-fifty. Uh, watching the replay. Uh, I do not think on that, talking about uh, in reference to those two penalties back-to-back, those two 15-yard penalties back-to-back, I think uh, the pass interference, I thought that was a church league call. Did not like that pass interference call at all. But I thought, uh, you know, in today's league, you got to pull up quicker on, on um, especially with the new rule change uh, that's making it even harder to, uh, to sack the quarterback. Um, I thought it was it was fair for it to go either way. I'll shift to the panel now. This game was, I mean, 24-23 is relatively low scoring. It did hit the under by about three or four points. Over-under was 51. The total is, was 47. But it was only 7-3 to three at halftime. They had that flea flicker kind of reverse action to get Pokey Wilson down the field. Uh, I mean, LSU drove all the way down on their first drive. They were looking good. They settled for three, and that was all they had in the first half. So it kind of a defensive struggle early on. And then um, the, the game, I guess, uh, developed and, and changed uh, in the second half. Yeah, I had two big takeaways from the game. First off was um, I, I did not expect that many Florida State fans to be there and fill out the crowd as they did. So uh, applause to them. And the second big thing I took away from the game was Florida State's third down uh, efficiency in this game. Compared to LSU, who went 5 for 11 on third down, uh, Florida State went 11 for 17, and I remember watching Florida State last year. Every time they got into a third down situation, I'd be like, "We're punting." Now that yeah. game, watching that game, I felt confident on the third down, and part of the reason is all the third downs that we converted were mostly third and threes, third and twos, third and fourths, third and short, um, and that, I, that's just pro- progress from Jordan Travis, progress from the offense um, that I really enjoyed watching uh, yesterday. Yeah, speaking, kind of going back to what Jackson was talking about, Jordan Travis, I just think just seeing how comfortable he was and, you know, him being the quarterback, being one of the leaders of this team, that translates onto everybody else on this team. When he's comfortable, you know everyone else is going to be, you know? So having him, his progress was unbelievable. I'm like, I was, I've always been a fan of how he played, and I'm just so excited to see what's next for him and what else he's capable of but i mean like we like you said his his performance last night was just unbelievable and i yeah i just i have no words he's he's the guy he's him you know i think last night's game was the exact mirror image of florida state versus notre dame uh last year and what i mean by that is uh you know the new coach obviously you know coach norvell had the 2020 year if you don't count that you have a coach that's really in his first year at a new school. He's got a QB battle that's going all the way up through fall camp, one week before fall camp ends. Now, should 
Uh, Mike Norvell not have taken Mackenzie Milton? Absolutely not, because uh, if Mackenzie Milton was, you know, three quarters of what he was at UCF, he would have been a major help. Um, but I, I think this is what happens when you have a Jordan Travis that has all of his conf- when when this team has all their confidence in him. You see Jordan Travis getting all the first team reps. You see Jordan Travis really uh, breaking into the mold, really. Uh, forming himself into that starting quarterback, really forming himself into uh, what he can be. And for LSU, it's the exact opposite. You have a quarterback battle going all the way up to the last week of fall camp. They're splitting first-team reps uh, the entire way. And you have a team that's not necessarily, probably not used to the schematics of Brian Kelly yet. And uh, it, they, they, it, the game felt like mirror images. Yeah, uh, William Jackson, Amanda, AJ, producer Jack Galliaro, you're listening to Tomahawk Talk, WVFS, Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State, talking Florida State football's win on Sunday night, uh, FSU and LSU. We, we're talking about Jordan Travis. We spent a lot of time talking about him, and I think it's fair. Year three in the system, uh, not only has he grown, the, the whole offense, the whole system has grown and developed in his time here, but can we give some credit to, to these guys he was throwing the football to? Pokey on Terry Wilson having maybe the biggest game of his life. Seven catches goes 100 yards, a couple of touchdowns, a couple of long touchdowns. Johnny Wilson was big on third down. Micah Pittman out of the slot was great. Uh, underneath, that was something we saw against Duquesne, something we talked about in fall camp, that he's a great um, short passing option, which is something they have not been uh, great at. And also Cameron McDonald. You look at the box score, two catches for 23 yards. I was surprised to see him. He hasn't been practicing much uh, and falling into the season, but both of those catches in the first half were on third and longs and kept moving the football. So Travis was good. The run game was good. But I think the receivers deserve a lot of credit, guys, as well. I totally agree with you. Uh, that one-handed catch Ontario Wilson had with a guy all over him, outstanding catch, but not even focusing on the two touchdown to catches he had. It was just every time... Jordan Travis threw him the ball, it looked like he was going to catch it no matter what was going to happen. He looked determined, ready, and it was great to see that happen. Yeah, that catch was that was unbelievable. I mean, Jordan Travis, he was delivering on pretty much every intended throw. You know, the ball, whether, the, whether or not the receiver was there because of coverage, th- the ball was there. The ball was where it needed to be, which is hopeful for the future. You know, that's something our receivers can work on, but again, just more praise for Jordan Travis but yeah our receiving um yesterday was I mean there's the depth in the receivers is also very comforting for Florida State fans just knowing that there are multiple guys out there that can make catches and especially in coverage like this um so I'm yeah I'm excited to see um kind of who else we've got back there because there's a lot of guys back there but. Yeah, Amanda, I agree with your Jordan Travis comment. Um, there wasn't a single pass that I watched that made me think, oh, well, you know, throwing's not his his strong suit. You know, uh, he looked, like I said, he looked a lot more businesslike. He looked so much more polished. Um, and uh, like you're saying about, about Pokey Wilson, Ontario Wilson, there's so much hope in the idea that um, you know, if Pokey's having a big game, that means uh, the defenses are paying more attention to Micah Pittman and um, Johnny Wilson, and so it, 
when you have three targets that you can rely on, you know, a couple of years ago, it was Terry that was getting all the attention. Uh, last year, you know, it's kind of between, um, what do you say, probably Ja'Kai Douglas and... Yeah, I mean, Ontario Wilson and also Keyshawn Helton. Keyshawn Helton, absolutely. So when you have three guys, one's 6'7", one's 5'10", Pokey's probably, what, 6'1", 6'2", uh, when you have three guys that you can rely on and trust that vary in their uh, their physical capabilities, uh, it really opens up the playbook, and it really uh, makes it harder for defenses to adjust because somebody's probably going to be open when you have uh, three guys like that. Like I said, 7-3 to three at halftime. The, the lone touchdown for Florida State was an 85-yard drive. Seven minutes, I talked about those long drives. Capped off by this nice, it was a play that was a reverse to the right side, tossed back to Travis, and he throws to uh, Pokey Wilson for the score. They went up 7-3 to three there. On LSU's next drive, they had a field goal blocked. It was Jared Verse who had a great game, I think two and a half sacks. I think the defense had four on the night, six total tackles for loss, but it was Jared Verse coming up the middle to block the field goal, and we'll talk about that and how it set up potentially the final play. Um, Florida State's next drive after that, they had to punt, and it was muffed by, uh, who was it for, for LSU? It was the guy that, that uh, It muffed. was um, Malik Neighbors. Yeah, Malik Neighbors muffed both of the punts. Um, so th- those were a couple of, um, you know, maybe the, just the punt is a mistake, but a couple of special teams miscues uh, for the Tigers uh, to end really the first half to keep it 7-3. to three. And now we'll kind of get into the nitty-gritty of it. Florida State had a, had a couple of really solid uh, scoring drives. Um, at one point they were up 24-10, to 10, uh, which was, I mean, pretty deep into the second half. It was D.J. Lundy, the linebacker, um, with with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter at the one-yard line. They give it to him at the fullback position, and he jumps over uh, the lines for the score. 24-10, to 10, then LSU rips off a five-minute scoring drive. Um, FSU, they fumble it on the next drive. Or, or sorry, that was uh, they had to punt, and it was muffed again by Malik Neighbors, which set up uh, the Knowles in business. And this was deep in the fourth quarter. It was inside of two minutes. You were up seven points. Granted, LSU did have all three of their timeouts. But in a situation where FSU could have easily just taken their, their knees, made a LSU call their timeouts and kick a field goal, go up ten points under two minutes, they decide, at well, I think, at the one or two-yard line to run a pitch play to Treshawn Ward. Ward, it, it was not a great pitch. Ward probably could have. It was catchable. Uh, but it's on the ground. LSU picks it up at the one-yard line, and there was 80 seconds left. LSU down by seven. They had 99 yards to go, and they drove all the way down the field. And there was there was a play that there was some controversy with. It was Mason Taylor uh, when they were in the red zone, 17 yards down to the Florida State two-yard line, and it looked like his. I mean, his knee was down in bounds as he's trying to stretch the the football out of bounds, but his knee was inbounds with one second left they did get a first down lsu had no timeouts they review the play and uh, they originally called him out of bounds yeah and so i think uh, fsu called the timeout because they wanted to kind of reset um and i think it was an official review right and so the end of the story is lsu gets one more play uh from the, the one or two yard line and it was you know a stick play to the back of the end zone for a touchdown it was 24-23. I was sick to my stomach. I imagine everyone else in the studio was feeling the same. I imagine Mike Norvell was beside himself where you were up 24-10. to 10. Inside of 10 minutes, you had dominated most of the game, and it was an extra point away 
from going to overtime. And I know I'm monologuing on a bit, but I'll give you guys a chance here in a second. And Jared Verse said after the game that after he, blo- uh, after he blocked the, the first field goal going up the middle, he said that final extra point, LSU ran a field goal protection that they had never put on tape, never seen in the spring game. Um, the, the special teams coordinator that was at Cincinnati, they never ran that protection. All the film FSU had, they had never run this field goal protection. They put all the guys up the middle because that's where Verse had blocked it the first time. And it was the youngster defensive back Shaheem Brown going off the edge to block the extra point. So after all this gut-wrenching stuff, LSU goes, you know, 99 yards in, in just under a couple of minutes, uh, just, uh, you know, 100, uh, one minute and 20 seconds. It still ends in an FSU victory because, you know, their fourth big special teams play of the night. That's how many play that, that's how many game changing plays it took and FSU escapes with a one point victory. Still at loss for words. You know, I I still don't believe it. Um for a minute though, let's let's go back to Florida State. They're on the one <clears throat> up by seven. Excuse me, pardon me. Up by seven on the one or two yard line, whatever it may be. Uh, I believe it's third down, third and goal. Um, in this scenario, you take you take the knees, you kick the field goal. Ninety nine percent chance you're going to win. Um, you know, obviously, there's some time left on the clock. LSU could possibly score and get an onside kick because they have, uh, even though they don't have any timeouts. But uh, you run it in for a score, the game's one hundred percent over. There's no there's no shot. Uh, personally, I'm I'm taking my chance on that one percent and it's not going to work and if i am going to run a run a play i'm definitely not throwing the ball uh i'm not definitely not putting the ball in the air no matter what whether it's a pitch whether it's a read option or excuse me whether it's a whether it's a pitch whether it's a speed option um or it's a pass that the the ball is not going in the air uh in no way shape or form but um it is interesting though because coach norvell has such a vast knowledge of the rule book we saw it with with Tyler Van Dyke and the, uh, the three second, uh, the less than three second spike that you know could have saved Florida State uh, against Miami, but when I saw that fumble, when I saw it happen, my brain immediately went, "This is gonna be a little throwback." Sorry um, for y'all, but 2014 Florida State's playing Clemson. Clemson has uh, Clemson has the ball. They're up by seven um, late in the fourth quarter. They're on Florida State's 20-yard line, they fumble the ball. Florida State takes it and uh, scores and then sends it overtime, and then they win in overtime. And I immediately thought to myself, Clemson knew how to win, didn't know how to win the game yet. And uh, that's what it felt like when Florida State fumbled that ball. It was like Florida State just doesn't know how to win this game yet. Um, but... They did. I, I still don't get it. I still don't get it. But they did it. You have anything, AJ? Just the craziest sequence of events I've ever seen. That 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 review felt like it took about a half of football as it was, uh, and I we're all just sitting there not knowing what's happening. I'm 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 still convinced the refs didn't know what was happening until a certain point. Um, but it sounds like they got the call right. Um, so I'm not going to criticize them. I, I still cannot believe that I, I saw where I was sitting in the stands. I saw the, um, the, the kick get blocked, and I see it 
get blocked, and I see it still going towards the uh, field goal post, and I said, oh, no, this is going in. This is this is how Florida State, this is how it would happen. And then luckily, luckily it bit, it hits the crossbar and comes back. I said, and that, I in that split second, I, I was thinking double doink. Yeah. And I was thinking double doink, and I know that and I was, I was like, this isn't this isn't real. And I still don't know if it is real or not, but crazy. You're yeah. not you're not dreaming anymore. Wait, it's it, it happened. Sorry, go ahead, Amanda. I was just gonna say. I mean, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but this reminds me of the um, the blocked extra point of the Miami game. What year was that? 2016. 2016. The block of the rock. Demarcus Walker, um, and just the weight of like how that felt because I was at that game in Miami because I I was not able to travel to New Orleans this weekend. But being at that game, I was like, that's got to be similar feeling. You know, you're at the end of the game. It's secures the win for Florida State. Um, so I can't even – I honestly can't imagine being in person at this game. I probably would have passed out, almost passed out at home. But I don't know how y'all did it. But. The emotional roller coaster, kind of like we've all been saying, like we're still feeling it into this Monday night because it was, I think as, as AJ said, it was the most unbelievable sequence of events you could have imagined. I keep going back to this that – LSU made four different like cataclysmic mistakes that should end the game, and they just kept somehow coming back from them, and, and they ended up losing on a on a mixed extra point. Uh, I know we haven't we've been talking for for you know almost 27 minutes. We have yet to really get into this LSU side. I want to just touch on it quickly. Jaden Daniels, the transfer from Arizona State, he ends up starting at quarterback over Garrett Nussmeyer. We didn't know who was going to start until game day, and he contributes to like what 90% of their offense. Uh, 26 to 35 passing over 200 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And then on the ground, 16 carries for 114 yards. So Brian Kelly was, was, was apt to stop Jordan Travis from running the ball. I don't know if this FSU defense did the same with Jay Daniels. I, he wasn't known as much of a runner at Arizona State, but he took advantage of the defense. I think the, the ends, like even Jared Verse, as good of a game as he had, he lost contain at times, so did some of the other ends. Um, the passing game did not amount to much. A lot of it came in those last couple drives in the fourth quarter where, where LSU was making a run for it. But um, I, I would say overall another good showing from this FSU defense as we're now you know two games into the season. Um, I, I've been talking a lot about the front seven. I, I mean, I think the run defense was, was okay for most of the time. Um, but but Jackson, what what can you say right now? I, I think the unsung hero of this game is Adam Fuller, and, and we can talk about um, you know the the last drive. LSU has all the momentum. I mean, they're a, they're a solid football team. They have a lot of talent. Uh, to think that um, their competitive nature is not going to allow them to come back into that game late when they have an opportunity to is is kind of I wouldn't say stupid, but maybe a little naive. Um, they were going to do their darndest to. Uh, get back in that football game, football game, and they did. Um, but to not allow a touchdown until eight seconds left in the third quarter to almost go 45 minutes against an LSU squad uh, and not give up a touchdown, I thought was very, very impressive. Um, to only give up 23 points uh, to an SEC school that has a lot of talent on their roster uh, with a, with a very good quarterback. You, you read the numbers; he had a good game, um, especially on the ground. Uh, it it was it was an unsung hero that was definitely Adam Adam Fuller. 
That's an interesting take. Yeah, I mean, I I maybe was a little bit of a, a prisoner in the moment watching, you know, that, that 99-yard drive and kind of upset about it. But, you know, there's only so many things you can do. And you look at th- the bigger picture was it was 7-3 to three at halftime. I mean, this was the game that, as I said earlier, just about everyone was picking FSU to lose, and they were leading, you know, 7-3 to three at half. Well, I mean, when you have to play that prevent defense, it's so hard to – your hands are tied as a defensive coordinator. I mean, you, you can't play your normal your normal 4-3 or 3-4. Uh, you have to put three men deep because you, you have to keep everything in front of you. Um, and at least they played the prevent defense uh, this time like they didn't do against Jacksonville oh State. Oh, my gosh. So, I was, was going to bring uh, that up as well. Was, at uh, least we learned how to play prevent defense That's exactly time. right. And I, I have to give credit to the LSU quarterback, Jane Jaden Daniels. I had no idea how quick he was until I, the first two plays he ran, I said, oh my goodness, this guy can run. Because I, I seen him play at Arizona State. Uh, he, he was known as more of a thrower there. And my goodness, he took it to FSU on the ground. Um, and that last drive where he had that, what was it? He ran from like the 50-yard line to like the 25-yard line or about. It was about. He escaped 20, a few sacks yeah, while he was at it. Yep. Few, escaped a few sacks, escaped a few tackles, got him down there. I said, I don't know what FSU can do here because FSU has to play prevent at that point, and the running lane is wide open for him, and he's been torching FSU that whole game. So I, I give credit to J- Jaden Daniels. He did his darnest to get LSU right back in this game. We're up against the break, but I just want to give everyone a chance. Final closing thoughts on what is a huge game, could be a monumental game for this season and beyond um, as, as we kind of turn the page for some of the other stuff that we have. And Any any uh, closing thoughts, guys? Uh, I, I'm still stunned. I, I, I know we, we've all said it, um, but there's that old adage, you know, lose big, lose small, win small, win, win big. And uh, I think last night was a testament to that, especially, you know, it's kind of funny. It's Mike Norvell's third year. It's almost like he's following that cliche right to a T. Closing words. Um, I'm excited for Florida State football this season. I And I'm also excited Florida State has a bye week this week to, to cool off, let things rest, and get back focused for Louisville the week after. Yeah, just as you were talking about Mike Norvell, I think – Florida State has found its guy. Like, it has been shown that he's the right guy for the job and he knows how to win, get big games. And I have a lot of hope for the season. Um, just as you said, AJ, it's like, I have not said I am excited for FSU football in a very long time. And it, it just, I think the environment in Tallahassee is different this year. There's just something about this season that I'm very hopeful for. And I'm very excited to just be a student at the time that this change is happening and that Mike Norvell is, you know, leaving his mark in Tallahassee. So just excitement all around. I, yeah, I'm still trying to process the game. In, in lieu of a last comment for me, I'll, I'll play the, the radio call with Jeff Colhane uh, of the blocked extra point. Here it is. And it's a redshirt freshman kicker, Damian Ramos, who might be the most nervous person in the Superdome right now. Boy, the snap, Ramlet to hold, to send it to free football. Snap, spot, blocked! Yeah! It's no good! Yeah! It's blocked! Shaheen Brown got his men on it! Fire up the war chant and plant the spear! Nose win! Nose win! Mike Norvell, you have your signature win! 
That was courtesy of Jeff Colhane, Seminole Sports Properties, and Learfields IMG College. For William Haynes, Jackson Bakich, AJ LaCourse here, Amanda Golson. This has been the first half. Producer Jack Oliaro is next with Seminole Segment. Hotter than a fresh beignet is me, Jack Oliaro, the guy who does Seminole Segment, relaying the latest and greatest in all of Florida State's athletics. We begin down in Gainesville, where the 10th-ranked Florida State Seminole soccer team met with their in-state rivals, the Florida Gators. The Gators started with a four-game road trip, only resulting in one win before hosting USF on Thursday and leaving it late with two second-half goals to win 2-1. Now, Sunday was a great day for Florida State, because not only did the Knolls have that victory over LSU, but they crushed, destroyed, throwing your superlative or adjective, you'd be doing it justice, 5-0. 19 shots, 7 on target, 5 goals for the Knolls. While Florida State, well, I'm sorry, while Florida could only amount three shots, two on target, big fat Gator egg on the scoreboard there. Jenna Nyswanger becomes the first player with two goals in the season as she opened the scoring 15 minutes in, 1-0 at the half, before two goals in 10 minutes by Olivia Garcia and Jody Brown respectively, before in a Florida-owned goal to make it quickly at four. Beta Olsen opened her account with an 87th minute cherry on top, last season's golden boat boot leader at 14, finally gets the drought off her shoulders. The Knolls move to 2-0-2, two wins and two draws, in the early season as they'll host Florida Gulf Coast this Thursday at 7 p.m. and then head out to Houston on Sunday to take on Rice of the Conference USA. The volleyball team had their opening homestand with four games from Wednesday to Saturday. They opened with a tight sweep of Florida A&M, dominant sweeps and dominant games over James Madison and Yale, and Austin Pay won the second set, the only opposing set win of the week, but fall by the wayside afterward. FSU's season statistical leaders after seven games show Audrey Koning leading the Seminoles with 71 kills, 11 aces, and 48 digs on the season, Emily Ryan with 25 blocks, and Angela Draskovich with 146 assists. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of Seminole Segment. William and Jackson, push the buttons. Push the buttons indeed, and we are back on Tomahawk Talk. You're listening to it on 89.7 FM, WVFS, Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Also, WVFS.FSU.edu. William, Jackson, AJ, Amanda, uh, our producer, Jack Oliaro. A great seminal segment, and uh, he's making sure we're uploaded on a podcast tomorrow as well, so you can check the show out if you ever miss it live. And again, as we uh, second half, we've got some other college football uh, some playoff expansion, maybe some NFL at the end. Remember that you can call the show and talk to us. Give us your thoughts at 850-644-1837 at V89 Sports as well. But Florida State and LSU, believe it or not, were not the only teams that, that played some college football this past weekend. It was a great weekend all around. I know there's another game tonight, Clemson and Georgia Tech, but the, the full slate Saturday, we'll, we'll cover the games that we talked about last week. We'll start in Atlanta where number three Georgia in their national title defense 49-3 to over the Oregon Ducks. We talked about maybe that number 11 ranking a little bit overinflated perhaps, maybe to get that TV rating. But Oregon did not stand a chance. Bo Nix, who transferred from Auburn, uh, has another tough go of it against Georgia, uh, and he, he did not look very good. Two interceptions. Um, they only put up three points the whole game. They get absolutely sandblasted. Um, Kenny Dillingham, the offensive coordinator at Oregon now, was at FSU last season. He was seen on, on the broadcast, just the facepalm in, in the coach's box up there after one of these Bo Nix interceptions. But Stetson Bennett, I mean, 25-31, almost 400 yards, two touchdowns. He looked in control. He might be in that Heisman conversation. And, I, guys, I think the, 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 the point that matters the most, 
Georgia, they have their foot on the floor with, with the pedal on the gas. I, I would agree. I, I don't know. I, I know Georgia's good. They just came off a national championship. I know they lost a lot. I don't know if Georgia is really that good or if Oregon is really just not that good because Oregon did not look good at all. Uh, wh- me personally watching the game, it, it looked like they hadn't played a, a, a capable team in forever. And I don't know how they're ranked 11. Do they even stay in the top 25 after this week? I think they'll be, yeah, probably like 22, 23, like that. You know, they got to keep the Pac-12 relevant. I know USC is, is on the move now, but but I think you're right in that, just saying, like, they don't look like a top 25 team right now. You lose 49-3 to three to anybody. I, I don't care who you are. Uh, their, their new head coach, their shiny new head football coach, Dan Lanning, was previously at Georgia, so that's never a good look. I mean, I know that was always the thing with Saban, is his assistants can never beat him, but, I mean, he did not even hold the candle. To, to Kirby Smart's uh, team. Does anyone else have any final thoughts on, on this one? I mean, I know, uh, I don't know if Oregon is going to be very good, but but Georgia, did they look great? Uh, when it comes to, you know, was it Georgia that was good or Oregon that was bad? It's, I mean, just like anything, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, but if I had to lean anyway, I think it's Georgia's that good. I mean, they, uh, just the recruits that they can get and, you know, the way that Kirby Smart is able to facilitate that offense. Um, my heart has to lean towards Georgia uh, and the way that they were able to compete against Alabama. And, you know, we know that they, they lost 15 players to the draft last year. I mean, they had it, or however many it was. It was an insane amount. Um, but uh, I think Georgia is now in that Alabama realm where they don't uh, rebuild. They just reload. So... Uh, should be a good season for for Kirby Smart and the and the Bulldogs. We'll move on now to what was billed up to be the biggest game of the weekend: number two Ohio State hosting number five Notre Dame. I was I could not have been more off on of my prediction. I mean, maybe if Notre Dame had won, that's the only way. But I predicted, you know, not only did Ohio State not score fifty or sixty like I thought they would, Ohio State did not even cover the spread. They beat Notre Dame twenty-one to ten. Notre Dame. Like right at the end of the th- third quarter, they were up ten to seven. They were not in control of this game, but they were really hanging around. This Ohio State offense that we've come to know was not really playing like themselves. They end up scoring, you know, kind of some points in garbage time, guys. Twenty-one to ten was the final score. But I mean, I, I was impressed with with Notre Dame coach uh, coach Freeman up there replacing Brian Kelly, Marcus Freeman. Uh, his defense looks good. It looks it reminds me of an NFL defense. They got that pro style and. Uh, when was the last time Ohio State was held to 21 points? No other team will probably be able to do it again this season. Yeah, I was going to say, I think this is more of a testament to Notre Dame and how well, how well they played. Uh, their first game under a new head coach uh, at the Horseshoe um, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I was very impressed with Notre Dame, and I'm sure Notre Dame fans are, are liking their new head coach right now compared to, uh, uh, compared to LSU fans liking their new head coach right now. So... Um, and Notre Dame's got to be happy about Notre Dame fans. Excuse me, have to be happy about LSU and Brian Kelly uh, getting that L first week. Exactly my point. So um, I'm excited to see what Notre Dame does from here on out. I know they are a non non conference or non division team, so they always play these kind of weird uh, games, and I I think that's great for football as it is. So I'm I'm excited to see what Notre Dame is going to do for the rest of the year. I was going to say, this is kind of similar to the Notre Dame-Florida State game last year. Like, Florida State 
we didn't or Florida State did not win, but the feelings that we had after that game were positive. Like I think this is how Notre Dame fans are going to feel as well. You know, there is hope after seeing how they can perform against a, such an elite team as Ohio State. That was just kind of reminiscing about how our feelings were after the Notre Dame game last year. That's that's a good call. AJ, you talked about it with Notre Dame being an independent. Their path to the playoff is a little bit different than a lot of other teams. Now, granted, that's going to change with what we're about to talk about in a few minutes, but they can't afford to lose more than one. This is it. So after week one, you drop your game. I think it's interesting they schedule Ohio State. These two teams will meet in South Bend next year. So that's a great non-conference series. The only ranked teams left on the schedule, number 25 BYU, in coming into town, number four Clemson as of right now, and finishing the season off with a trip to number fourteen USC. So Jackson, their work is cut out for them. Yeah, and I might be uh, jumping the gun a little bit here, but uh, with the expanded playoff, what is Notre Dame going to do? Because um, when you have those six spots given to conference champions, um, there's no chance Notre Dame can get a bye if they're not in a conference. So. Uh, they have a decision on their hands. I mean, I don't know which conference are they. You know, talk about joining the Big Twelve, maybe the ACC. Uh, most likely the Big. Or did I say Big Twelve? Excuse me, Big Ten. Um, so uh, that's a weird predicament that Notre Dame is in. You know, do they take the status and the money that they get from being an independent and having uh, just that elite brand, or uh, are they okay with um, you know kind of squandering that for that playoff buy? But at the same time since they don't have to play that conference championship game, they're still playing the same amount of games. So uh, I could see them doing e- either. either I could see them going either way. That's definitely something that is going to be made a talking point. I know the Notre Dame president is on the, the board of uh, 12 people that decided for the expanded playoffs. So I, I'm sure he's lobbying his case in those conversations. The last game I want to talk about, an in-state rival, the Florida Gators began the season unranked. Florida and Florida State both unranked in the same preseason for the first time since 1974, well, that's not going to last for long. I mean, maybe both will be ranked when when they come out tomorrow. But it's uh, in the swamp. Florida comes out on top, 29-26 over what was number seven ranked in the land, the Utah Utes. It was a shootout. I mean, Utah known for their defense last year. They beat Oregon twice. They gave a really good fight to Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. So I, I understand a little bit that preseason hype. I thought their quarterback, Cam Rising, looked good enough. But you want to talk about the best player in this game, the highly touted uh, quarterback now completely getting the reins of this offense, Anthony Richardson. His name is going to be in the Heisman conversation this year. Only threw for, for about 170 yards, but uh, put another 100 yards on the ground. Three touchdowns on the ground. Had a great play, escaping a couple of defenders on a two-point conversion. And a huge, huge win in uh, the first game for, the, for their head football coach coming over from uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Um, so, so what do you guys think about this one? What he reminded me of is... DeAndre Francois, but about 100 pounds heavier and about five inches taller. I mean, he, he so can not run. At all alike. No, I'm saying his skill set is yeah. very, very similar. He can run. He 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 has a hell of an arm. He, I mean, just he was an absolute uh, cannon. And um, I was honestly surprised the wide receivers were catching some of these because they they were they were coming in hot. They were coming in quick. They were coming in on time. Um, I, I think. I hope I'm not overreacting because we saw. I mean, we did see him play a few times uh, last year as well. So it's not like we've never seen this guy before. But I think he's a top three player in all of college football. 
I I'm gonna turn it to Utah to the Utah side of the uh, ball. What what does the Pac-12 do now that that they lost this game at Florida to an unranked team? They're coming into the season the highest they've ever been ranked, number seven in the country, and they lose to Florida, an unranked team. Uh, how, how what does the Pac-12 do now uh, of trying to get into a football, college football playoff with just four teams as it is right now? Because that was their only hope this year. That in my in my opinion. After, especially after seeing Oregon, uh, I th- I thought Utah actually played good. It's a tough environment to play in the swamp down there, especially the humidity they're not used to. Um, there was rain all day, so I'm sure that didn't help. Um, and they had a chance to win the game. They're they're driving down the field, and the quarterback just makes a, a bad throw. I I don't even know what he was seeing. Maybe he's trying to throw it away, trying to fit in a tight pocket, um, but. I, I, I don't know what the Pac-12 does now from here on out. Do they have to look for to USC um, and hope that USC starts winning and blowing out some people? I think even going into the season, a lot of pressure, maybe rightfully so or not, was on the, the Trojans of USC. Their new shiny coach, Lincoln Riley, coming over from Oklahoma. He brought his quarterback with him, Caleb Williams, who was a Heisman-ish type. He brought his family. They're loaded. They are loaded in Southern Cal. And I, I think maybe what what the Pac-12 was hoping for was that, you know, you have two other teams in the top 11, uh, or at least you, you, you did, both of them lose in Oregon and Utah. I think the hope was, you know, two of those teams were going to be cannon fodder, fodder to the third, where it's like you can build your resume with maybe some top 15 wins. That takes a hit. I know they changed their, their postseason format, so there's no more divisions in the Pac-12. It's just the top two teams play in Las Vegas for the, the championship. So I, I think... USC, they're going to at least play Utah, cause, or, or I guess now that they they, they could play both because there's no more divisions, but um, they're, they're going to have a chance to at least play a couple of these teams, and I think, as it's always been, I think it's going to be on USC probably to, to come through. A disappointing showing. I mean, the Pac-12 dying on the vine, especially so with all this conference realignment, and that those two teams go 0-2. That, that's not good. I, I would agree. And I would just like to point out one other thing about FSU football. FSU football is the only team to beat an SEC school this weekend. So There you uh, go. A little fun fact there for you. The ACC did take a major hit. Billy Napier, by the way, the, the new head coach of Florida, I, I think he's going to be good. He built a great program at Louisiana. And the, a, a first a, your first game winning that could not come any bigger. Uh, Utah did have a chance at the goal line, and, and they threw a pick uh, to end the game. I was just going to add, not that I'm scared, but, you know, I think more emphasis is placed on the Florida State-Florida game. You know, we were talking, when we had Fred Siegel on the show, we were asking about, is there any bad FSU-UF takes? He's like, well, no one talks about them anymore because they were two not-so-great programs, but I think this weekend, I feel like everybody was talking about Florida State and UF, you know? So I think the game, the Florida State-UF game is going to be I think it just got upgraded to a whole different level, and the importance of it is much heavier. And it's just that is – I'm so excited for that game now. Just after seeing how both teams played this weekend, man, like that's – I'm so excited. I think this is the first time in a long time uh, that both Florida, Florida State, and Miami, I think they could all be on the verge of another 10-year run like we saw. Um, I'm not saying they're all going to be just as good, but – you know, I think they're all three consistently going to be in the top 25 for maybe the next five to ten years. Um, and I know that's a not a, necessarily an incredibly bold prediction because, you know, I uh, 
I can run away from it pretty easy. But uh, I will say that Florida will be a tough game for the Seminoles, like we said with Anthony Richardson. If he stays healthy, uh, Florida, I think, is going to have a really solid season. Uh, same here with Miami. Tyler Van Dyke stays healthy, which he should. He's a pretty big guy. Um, I see Miami having a successful season. I see Florida State winning that game in Coral Gables. Uh, but I think Florida's going to be trouble. I'll close it out with this. Um, just a, an allotment of a failure, I guess you could say, for the Atlantic Coast Conference in week one. Uh, Virginia Tech goes on the road for the second time in four years and loses to Old Dominion, an in-state school. They're signed to play them every year for the next decade. That's not looking so good now. So Virginia Tech drops their first game to uh, a Sun Belt team is now Old Dominion in, I guess, the the, uh, the group of five now for uh, the first time. <clears throat> also, number 13, NC State going on the road. So these these ACC teams going on the road to play these group of five schools, a little puzzling. They, they win 21-20 over East Carolina. East Carolina really should have won that game. Uh, there was no block kicks, but, but uh, ECU's kicker missed an extra point that would have tied it at 21-all. East Carolina got the ball back, I think, on an onside kick, and they set him up again with a field goal to win, and he misses that one as well. Um, so East Carolina, you know, eat your heart out. That was, you talk about a heartbreaker. Boston College hosts Rutgers and loses 22-21. North Carolina escapes barely in Appalachian State, uh, which was maybe one of the craziest games of the weekend, if not for that FSU-LSU game. And then Louisville, who is FSU's next opponent a couple weeks from now. Louisville. Louisville, Louisville gets throttled in Syracuse, New York, in, in the Carrier Dome. I, I think it's a different name now, 31-7. to So Syracuse was picked to finish at the bottom of the conference, and they took it to to Louisville, excuse me. Whoa. And so, yeah, I'll have to work on my pronunciation over the next couple of weeks on that one. But not, not a good week for the ACC, kind of like with AJ was saying about the Pac-12, especially with all this conference realignment going on right now. You need all the positive momentum you can get, and they did not get it. So, And Clemson does play tonight, so yeah. they, they are the lead dog of the ACC still, and we'll see what happens with them. 24-point favorite over Georgia Tech uh, in uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. So uh, we got about 10 minutes left. We don't have to get into to everything right now because uh, there's going to be more developments as the weeks go on about this. Um, but... People have been calling for it, and it's finally arrived. The college football playoff uh, committee agreed and, uh, to expand to a 12-team format. So they go from four teams now to 12. Uh, it could, 2026 is the timeline right now to start that off, although there are discussions to get it as early as 2024. But just the gist of it, um, with 12 teams, you're, the, the first six are going to be the, the highest ranked, so you're still going to have the playoff committee rankings. The highest uh, six-ranked uh, conference championship winners, so presumably, you know, depending on how things go, your power five, and then maybe, you know, a Sun Belt team, Coastal Carolina, uh, American, well, Cincinnati will be moving on, but, you know, uh, a, a team like that. And then the other six will just be at-large bids, the next six highest-ranked uh, teams, I believe. Uh, do they do they have to be non-conference champ winners? Or do you know? What do you, what do you mean by that? The at-large bids. Um, can can the, the other six, can those teams also be conference championship winners, do you know? Or do they I have, don't see why not. Okay. Um, so, like, I guess if the seventh highest conference champion is ranked, I don't know, six or is that is that what you're getting at? Yeah, that yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, if they're conference champion, I don't think 
that hurts them. I don't understand the question. I was just trying to get to the to the point of the at large bids, but this is huge. They're going to be expanding, um, you know, threefold to to what we've been doing, and, and this changes the sport. Yeah, I I have a question about with the with them expanding the twelve teams instead of maybe like six or eight. Are they going to have to play less regular season games to get all these playoff games in? No. Or they're so, going to just are they, they're just going to play more games? So, you know, when you when we watch college football and we have our our championship weekend, as in uh, conference championship weekend, um, there's like that two or three week lull mm-hmm. in between that. Uh, between that conference championship and the first few bowl games. So, you know, conference championship weekend is probably around anywhere from December 7th, December 12th, somewhere in that first, range. First, first, second week of December. About exactly it. right. So uh, they're going to slot that game into uh, in between those couple weeks there, in between b- before bowl season starts. Um, it looks like the first round is going to be uh, possible on-campus games um, or at a stadium of – the higher seeds choosing, which I think is an interesting uh, thing going on there. Because, for instance, if LSU, I mean, just because they're off the top of my head, I don't think LSU would want to do this because, you know, Death Valley's you know, such a uh, hostile environment. But if they wanted to put it in the the Sugar Bowl and see it in Caesars Superdome, they could. Uh, It's from what I've read and what it looks like. Um, But when it comes to this this 12 team format, you know, the first four still get that bye, which I think is very important. I think the first four deserve that bye. Uh, but then you're going to have debate over, you know, well that conference championship, why why does that conference champion get a get a bye and that one not? And it's probably, you know, people are going to say, "Oh, it's SEC bias. It's going to be this bias." There's so always going to be that debate. There's always no going to be happens. debate, you know, at, at 13 and 12 and 14 there's going to be that debate. Uh, but it should be interesting. Uh, that's for very sure. Um, and I'm excited about it. Uh, I like the BCS, to be honest. I like the BCS. Uh, I think number one and number two should go at it, but I, I get it. It, it is more fun uh, to have more games. Um, but to answer your f- other question, I'm not sure if this is what you meant as well, but uh, they're not going to um, stop any. They're not going to cut the amount of games down. Uh, so there's still going to be 12 regular season games because if you think about it, there's only, what, eight teams that are going to have to play possibly 16 games instead of 15. So uh, for only eight teams in the entire country to have to play 16 games when the most is probably the most for the longest time has been 15 or 14, um, it's not that huge um, amount where the entire league has to has to stop playing 12. So let's go around the room because I want to get to some NFL too. I know we're like really cutting it on time now, but just yes or no, is this good for college football expanding the playoff and, and maybe a little bit as to why? I it, it's tough. I I think if with this expansion it needs to be the very last one. I, I think they should maybe even put a clause saying there will be no more expansion because um Anything more than this is, it'll look like a money grab in my opinion. Um, so, not not that you shouldn't do what's right, even if it looks like a money grab. I'm just saying, it won't be right. 16, 14, whatever it may be, it's just too many teams. Um, for a sport where the regular season is the, it is the greatest regular season other than, you know, in America. I mean, you can talk about the Premier League and uh, things of that nature. 
but it is the greatest regular season in all of American sports. I'm going to say no, just based on the fact I, I do believe it's going to be too many teams. 12 is too many teams. I think they should have uh, done six, maybe eight. Um, but I think it's going to be a good experiment at that to kind of test out the waters to see what this expansion is going to do. Um, so I, I guess I wouldn't say I'm not excited, but, um, but I'm just interested to see what happens. Frankly, I am excited because that just means more college football and you can't really argue with that. I think that this expansion is giving teams a shot at a national championship that you wouldn't maybe think of, you know, with all of these teams being eligible. Like, there could be, I mean, it's football. Stuff happens. There could be teams that sneak up on you and make it all the way and have a shot at the national championship. So that'll Especially be, ones that peak at the right time with two losses, maybe. Yeah, yeah so I'm... I'm ex- I I do agree AJ 12 is a lot especially just for you know the first edition but I'm I'm curious to see what happens and I'm excited for you know just more football My my stance on it and this will be an ongoing thing so we'll definitely hit this on weeks to come I I think expansion is the wrong direction as Jackson was alluding to with the BCS I think 1 versus 2 was the best I think most years it's you know barring some kind of controversies it's pretty undisputed who the two best teams are they should play i think bowl games should matter i think as you continue to expand um the the bowl games don't matter and your season you know comes around to to whether or not you made the playoff whether or not you're winning those playoff games so but we'll see uh in in a few years because uh the sport is going to look quite a bit different they should matter but to the players that are going to the draft they don't and so i think uh with this expansion, you're going to have players that are on really good teams, um, a lot less than they're going to be opting out if they're going to be able to play in that in that playoff zone, which I think is good for the sport. Um, but it does diminish the regular season a little bit, and that's where I have uh, a slight problem with it. All right, we got about a minute left. I promise some NFL. So let's just stick to the game I think people are most excited about. Thursday night at 8.30, Bills at Rams. Rams get that defending Super Bowl you know, home game. I'm sure it'll be packed with Bills Mafia, though. Uh, the Bills cross-country on the road are favored by about a field goal, which surprises me. But Josh Allen may be poised for an MVP season. And you got the Rams uh, trying to follow up. Uh, their Super Bowl win. What are we thinking about the first game of the NFL season this Thursday? I'm thinking it's gonna be. Gr- I, I'm thinking it's gonna be exciting. I'm I'm excited to see the Rams back defending their Super Bowl in in their home stadium again, where they want it. Uh, I know Matthew Stafford has some elbow problems, elbow tendonitis that might be lingering, but I think the Rams actually got better this season. Uh, they're gonna have some healthy running backs, Cam Akers. Um, they got Allen Robinson as their wide receiver, and then they got the best linebacker in the league in Bobby Wagner to go down there. So it's, I, I don't see how or why Buffalo's favored. I, I, I know it's going to be a great game, but I, I see the Rams winning this. I'm also going to go Rams, just looking at you know notable players. Like you said, Florida State's Cam Akers. I'm excited to see what he contributes this year. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's just going to be a great football game. You've got two great teams battling it out the first you know week of nfl it's just what's not to like about it you know it's exciting so i'm i'm gonna take the rams as well sean mcveigh is really really good in week one games i think he's maybe undefeated or only lost one but i'll take the bills i I think the rams might have a little bit of a super bowl hangover i think that that elbow issue for for matt stafford 
um, could could be a problem. We're really just going to have to wait and see. Uh, but I'm looking forward to that. You got a pick on this one? I'm going Bills as well, 33-26. All right. I'm not going to give a score, but uh, I'll take the, the Bills uh, to win that one. So we're at 8 o'clock, so that, that's going to do it for us. We'll be back next week. Hopefully we'll get a, a student writer or broadcaster for Louisville to preview that game. It'll Louisville. Be, uh, Louisville in a couple of weeks on a Friday night. Um, so we look forward to that one. But for myself, William Haynes, my co-host Jackson Bakich, our two panelists, A.J. LaCourcier and Amanda Golson, and our producer, Jack Oliaro, he had seminal segment as well. You've been listening to Tomahawk Talk. New release is next on 89.7 FM WVFS, Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.